I think that, you know, we got to get back to video just because video clips are so much more enjoyable mm-hmm. to share with, with you and with, I would imagine, with listeners. Like, there's a lot of, like, nuance. Mm-hmm. When we went over that, uh, the mullet fight at the hockey game. That was good. Couldn't have done that without video. You ever get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up? You know that feeling that the whole country is like one inch away from saying, that's it, forget it. Let's see. Now look, here's a house full of bees. You think the honey badger cares? It doesn't give a shit. Listen, let's get one thing straight. Price is right. Guns don't kill people. I do. song wasn't it it was i heard that somewhere and i thought i gotta find out who the hell this is yeah who is that i've never heard that before lee hazelwood huh never heard of him he wrote another song that i know you heard of and because he did a lot with uh nancy sinatra Mm -hmm. these boots are made for walking he wrote that yeah nice yeah he has like i went through listening to a bunch of his stuff he's got a very kind of like uh desert Mm -hmm. western Almost, almost Marty Robbins esque mm-hmm. kind of. They know those like ballads about the gunfighter right. and whatnot, and they have they they're always kind of um, uh, they weren't happy, but they weren't melancholy. Just yeah. kind of haunting. Yeah, gotcha. style. Yeah, and you hear that. It's almost like a cross between Marty Robbins and like uh, Calexico or some like yeah desert rock band. But I like that soothing. Yes, isn't that nice? Uh, on Megadeth. Uh, their first album. Speaking of soothing, <laughs> they covered uh, these boots. Oh, really? Yeah, pretty damn good cover. Nice. Mm-hmm. I like it. So, uh, so we did uh, some uh, a day of shooting yesterday. Yeah. A bunch of tactical shooting. How are you feeling? I'm still wiped out. Me too. <laughs> and it's not from, you know, uh, it's not from carrying around 37 pounds of gear in the blazing <laughs> sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the physically it was a little grueling. I mean, it was hot, too. I mean, you're soaked through a sweat within the first hour. Yeah. But uh, we were talking about it yesterday. I'm all, it's, it's a fatigue that I didn't really recognize. Yeah. And it wasn't... Because uh, I recognize, like, physical fatigue. Mm-hmm. It was being so hyper-focused and mentally engaged for that much time. Yeah. For seven, eight hours of just, like, you're just thinking about this this little detail and then this little detail and then this little detail. It's the equivalent of as a... Uh, as a 
as a general contractor, like you, the road to being a general contractor, you end up doing, uh, you start as a carpenter, maybe a laborer, and then you end up as, you know, you, a carpenter, mm-hmm. you're, but you're also a painter and a novice electrician and you right. know, you a little do, bit of everything. You do a little bit of everything. And the yep. days that you had to spend tiling. Oh God. Yeah. Would, w- will wipe you out. There's just something about, I think tile guys that do it all the time. It's a little bit easier, but to have to focus on the grid lines and the levelness and the spacing yes. and the cleanliness and just be so like hyper focused on this geometric pattern for an entire day is just exhausting. Yeah, tile is one of those things I don't even do it anymore. I don't even try. It's just yeah. I mean, unless it's like a little patch or something like that. But yeah, the last time I did it, I was like, I'm never doing this again. I'm like that with pretty much all of the trades at this point. <laughs> good, good move. <laughs> but one thing I did notice is since we spent the entire day shooting and talking about shooting and then, you know, sitting around the campfire talking about shooting and just details and how your rifle worked and just gear. I mean, that's all we pretty much talked about. And then my phone, which I would believe to be synced to my computer, probably through Dropbox and Gmail and all the free services I get that mm-hmm. only benefit me with technology, is I fire up my computer for the podcast this morning, and it's just every ad is for like tactical gear and yeah. ammo. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny. That used to be like a shocking thing where you'd be like, babe, look at this. We were just talking, just about, this talking about this last night. And now it's on my computer. Like that was like now it's just you expect it. That was novel two years ago. Now yeah. now it's just like she'd be like, "Why are you telling me this?" Yeah, and it's in the most like cons- like random spots. I'm like looking at the New York Times and then getting like ammo ads. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm pretty sure the New York Times didn't put that there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been compiling a list of things I've gotten wrong. Oh, okay. On it's, the podcast or just in life? In life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you but, know, we we got to keep this under two hours. So. Yeah, no, okay. Well, it's, it's curated uh, to be relevant to the podcast. Gotcha. Um, I, I started out, this was going to be kind of like a lighthearted thing. Okay. But it's actually got kind of heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so far on the list, I'm not going to go over all these, but I... I, I never wanted kids. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the blacks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, Mel Gibson, mm-hmm. not Australian. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Born in, uh, like America. Really? Born in America and lived in Australia for like seven years. Oh, okay. But he did that movie, uh, Mad Max. Right. Which, <laughs> that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Also known as uh, the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Future. Right. Um, Excellent predictive programming. And I think that that made people just think he was Australian. I always thought he was Australian. Yeah. Interesting. I know. Um, It's not too heavy, but... It's not. Emmett Till is on this list. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't really want to go into it, though. Uh... Oh, let's just suffice it to say that I had always grown up knowing about Emmett Till and how awful the situation was. And, of course, just like everything, the more you look into it, the more you're like, wait a second. I was not being told the truth about every single aspect of this case. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, uh, that's kind of funny. I listened to this guy. You know, like certain podcasts we listen to, they have like their thing. It's mm-hmm. like uh, some of the, like, the guys that will come on. 
macroaggression. He's like, he's dedicated his life to the JFK assassination. He's I got saw that. That new, was a new episode. Yeah, he's got this new Ben. I was half expecting Doug's name to show up in the, in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> and other guys, um, you know, uh, Last American Vagabond are like fixated on the Twitter files. So much so that I'm just like, okay, I, I, yeah. I know where you are in this. And like, you know. And um, Armstrong and Getty, for example, uh, <laughs> just <laughs> Trump all day. <laughs> and uh, they, um, this guy's life, <laughs> I won't say life's work, but his thing was, you know, Jerry Sandusky. Yeah. That he, Jerry Sandusky is totally innocent. No. <laughs> I couldn't believe I didn't buy it at the end. I'm like, uh, no, nah, you don't got me. Oh, I'm really? On this one. Wasn't convincing. It, yeah, but he had a lot of like really weird. Um, God, who was the other person who was just did a documentary about George Floyd, hmm. and it was really interesting. There's a lot of details in there that I didn't know, a lot that I did know. But um, then they kind of lose you with just these like odd details that are kind of insignificant. Yeah. To, and she goes, "It's just kind of interesting how you know this guy said you know some random witness said that he ate at this place, and you know we don't have a receipt for him eating." I'm like. Well, so what? Yeah. <laughs> Do you and so a lot of the Jerry receipt? Sandusky stuff was like that. It was just like inconsistencies or things that seemed to be like half truths and everything. And yeah, but uh, I didn't. One thing he did not present, although he did have a lot of details that like didn't line up, is I always start at these things at the end of what happened, and then you kind of reverse engineer it. So we talk about um, 9/11. Right. And then we talk about project for a new American century and back, 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 back. And you're like, okay, well, there's a lot of stuff that's was already pointing in this direction. He didn't do that with the Jerry Sandusky thing. It was like, cause at the end you have to go like, so what, why did they frame him? Like, w w so why, why is he in prison? You know what I mean? Like who, who's behind this like mastermind thing or was we call it like the follow the money ethos? If you have a conspiracy theory that the, there isn't a good why for me, then I will just completely right. check out. Yeah. If you can't give me like the what's the point of mm -hmm. people hiding the fact that the yeah. earth is flat? Mm -hmm. like if I'm not convinced by that, then I, I can't. Yeah, I can't buy into any of it. <clears throat> was that it with the? So sure. That, I mean, was that the story <laughs> of Sandusky? Like, it yeah, was, yeah. It was good, but it was just didn't quite right clinch the deal at the end. Yeah, I actually enjoy like go, doing a deep dive, listening to someone, and at the end going like, eh, still not convinced. Like, there's some interesting things in there, and I always appreciate alternative kind of perspectives on anything. I'd like to hear everything if I could, but yeah, I felt like that documentary Loose Change did that for me. Mm -hmm. Like it presented a lot of good facts, but then kind of at the end of the day, it was like, mm, like they just stretched a few too many things. Right. That it's like you guys Which, are on to something, but this yeah. is Loose Change was like conspiracy one on one for a lot of people. I remember watching, for me, for sure. Yeah, I remember watching that on tour, going like, I was already had the bias of like, there's some kind of fuckery that yeah. went on here. Like, I'm not buying it that they. It's because they hated freedom, right? Like, there's already blatant lies that you guys are telling, so I'm skeptical of everything. Yeah, and uh, to see that, it kind of was already scratching the itch that I was already scratching. <laughs> I guess you could say. Tell me if you want me to go into this or not. We don't have to. But the third thing on my list of things that I may have gotten wrong, mm -hmm. reparations. I don't want to go into this. Okay. I think there's a, there is a case to be made for reparations that I heard uh, Maj Ture make mm -hmm. that actually made me go, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll, take, I'll check it Maybe. out. Um, <clears throat> all right. So uh, 
How about a little news? Yes. Um, and as usual, the only thing in the news is Trump's uh, <laughs> <laughs> arraignment. But uh, every once in a while, the Hunter Biden case uh, crops in. So check this out. This is so I don't know how much you know about uh, what happened with Hunter Biden, but since I do. Last time we talked, pretty, pretty fair amount. We okay. You might know more than me then, but last time we talked about it. Uh, the judge shot down right. the plea deal after the, that was the being, lawyer pretended to <laughs> yeah, disguise their voice, pretending to be yes, <laughs> and the judge star sixty nine his phone exactly right, and so uh, that let's see, so the person that's been assigned now they've they've created a special counsel to look into Hunter Biden. Oh, really? See, and, I didn't know this. And the person who was assigned to the case is someone that works for the government, which is totally unprecedented. The, the third party special counsel is supposed to not be mm-hmm. connected. So um, this is Byron York talking about it. Byron, you know, the National Review points out that the special counsel regulations, section 600.3, states without ambiguity, quote, the special counsel shall be selected from outside the United States government. Well, there's there's one exception to that, which happened in the case of John Durham, true, who was uh, selected and for a few months served as both. Although he left office when the Biden administration uh, came in, but this is, I mean, this is really an outrage in the sense that this is the uh, U.S. attorney who accepted, who approved of this sweetheart deal for Hunter Biden. It fell apart when it came before a judge, but he approved of this deal, and now he's going to be the guy to be the special counsel going forward. Yeah. Mm. So the guy that approved the total just, like, slap on the lightest, most, like, soft slap on the wrist possible. It it wasn't even that. It was, was, if someone could illustrate of, like, we live in a, we have two systems of justice here. There's the people that are politically connected, they can do whatever they want, and there's the rest of you plebs. Because such a good example of that. Because the, the penalty was so light and also the plea deal that he that was on the table would have exonerated Hunter Biden from any other crimes that he, that he has d- committed. Yeah. And so the judge said, you got to be kidding me and threw yeah. it out. Well, the person who oversaw that plea deal is now the guy that's appointed <laughs> the special counsel to look into Hunter Biden. Um, but, you know, if you, if you want to hear the other side, uh, a Republican talk about um, why this is a good thing. Um, I could be proven wrong. So let's let's listen to uh, a Republican uh, who's clearly not um, embedded in the uh, be lively political establishment, <laughs> establishment uh, and is definitely uh, an anti-establishment kind of uh, champion. In fact, I believe this guy was uh, Donald Trump's vice president. Thanks for talking to us again. Just wondering, what is your take on the attorney general appointing a special counsel in this Hunter Biden investigation? Well, I think it's about time. Look, the American people deserve to know what uh, Hunter Biden and the Biden family were up to, uh, especially when, when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. Mm. <laughs> Fiery. <laughs> Fiery so, hot take. So there you go. Uh, Hunter Pence said, or Hunter Pence. <laughs> Mike Pence. Who's Hunter Pence? Oh, the baseball player. The baseball player. <laughs> That's right. Mike. Coincidence? <laughs> yes, okay. it is. All right, all right. Uh, I just love that because 
it does that illustrate does anything illustrate any better mm-hmm. this idea of the uniparty yeah where here you have the guy that's supposed to, he's saying out loud we need to get the american people deserve to get to the bottom of this and understand what what uh, talking uh, point talking point happened. not saying and anything not saying so now anything. we have a special counsel who's been appointed and we're going to get to the bottom of this uh-huh mm-hmm. right. the guy right that guy who basically works for his dad is going to get to the bottom of this right like how uh Obama says he's going to hold the big banks' feet to the fire. Exactly. <laughs> the it's the exact yeah. same thing. Let us know how that works out. Ugh. Yeah. So, anyways, I thought that might... Uh, the old two-party illusion. Yep. Gotta yep. love it. Um, what else you got, Maddie? Um, I thought you might like this, because you like talking about climate change. Uh, yes, I do. Is here is a collection of headlines, and I bring this up um, as also a way to just put it in the context that the vast majority of people only read headlines. The vast majority of those people only read one headline and then go out to the wild and go like, "I'm informed. I've just been given the truth." And we are always talking about like, look, look at a couple different things, like, and look at the track record of the people that you're getting this information from, right? Like, well, I sat on Rachel Maddow. Like, Rachel Maddow, that spent three years talking about Russian collusion and the Russian hoax. I was like, why are you still listening to her now? Like, these people are deranged or wrong. I love reading just the head... Well, I love reading headlines because it's so fun to compare the headline, which is almost always a lie, mm-hmm. to the body right. of the reporting that's actually and, and happening. ostensibly, I think we can say the same thing about fact checks because I get people refuting yes. things. They'll send me something from Snopes. I was like... What makes this legitimate? Mm-hmm. Like, let's look at what Snopes has gotten wrong, yeah. which is very, you know, and very clearly have a bias. I was just showing Gertrude something this morning where I was I was playing a clip that was talking about how um, uh, white supremacy is just such a problem and it's it just keeps ramping up and ramping up. And as kind of part of their proof, they had, they flashed on the screen these four headlines. Uh-huh about white supremacists coming to um, drag queen story hour <laughs> events and disrupting them. And, you know, three of them said that white Nazis or white supremacists, and the fourth one said Proud Boys. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, look, here you go. See, I told you, before this even popped up, I told you what bullshit this was. Yeah. The Proud Boys are not white supremacists mm-hmm. or Nazis, and they went. They did go to these story hour events right. and disrupted them. Yes, but they did it for these reasons. Basically, they didn't think that it was right to be sexualizing yeah. young children. All right, but you're allowed to lie in a headline, so you can say whatever you want. You can say white supremacists. You can say Nazi. You can you can have the most uh, just damning and inaccurate information doesn't matter slanderous information doesn't matter you're allowed to do it in the headline you just keep saying it as long as the body actually seven paragraphs down kind of corrects the record and i also bring this up is i can't remember what the exact verbiage was but remember that we said we played this before we probably like a year ago but the compilation of they had like the one newscaster talking about we here on this network take the idea of misinformation, very serious, and it adds another one and another one. Yeah. Pretty soon there's like 200 of like local news yeah, broadcasters saying the all exact, saying the same, exact thing. same thing. You're like, these people are fed what to say. They might put like a spin on it or whatever, but yeah, it's like, it's this is not news. Like, this yeah. is a narrative that was given to them. So uh, within the context of global warming, here's a collection of headlines I'd like to read you. 
Please. Africa warming faster than the rest of the world, IPCC 6 assessment report. And you brought up the IPCC last episode. Mm -hmm. Australian temperatures rising faster than the rest of the world, official report. Canada warming twice as fast as the rest of the world, report says. (laughs) China is heating up faster than the global average, data says. Europe is warming faster than the rest of the world, and scientists are puzzled. Finland is warming. Scientists are puzzled because it makes <laughs> they read no shit like sense. <laughs> Finland is warming faster than the rest of the world. Israel warming up almost twice as fast as the rest of the world, data says. Temperature in Mexico is rising faster than the worldwide average. New England is warming up faster than the rest of the world. Oh, this is awesome. North Pole is heating up twice as fast as the rest of the world. Why is Russia warming more than twice as fast as the rest of the world? Climate change experts raise concerns. South Pole warming three times faster than the rest of the world. Global warming happening three times as fast in Sweden. Parts of the United States are heating faster than the globe as a whole. The world. So which, is, which, which one is it here? The world is heating up faster, twice as fast as the world. As the world. <laughs> Scientists are puzzled how every single country can be heating up twice as fast as every other country. <laughs> they are still trying to figure out the math. And so the, you know, the climate fundamentalists, which many are, I just want, I'd like, I just don't want to be that guy, but I just want to like send this to him, like, do this math for me. Like, which, which one of these headlines is the right one? We need to take that, uh, those headlines and do the voices, have people read them and do that thing that they did with the local <laughs> news and have it like broken up into, you know, 12 and then 24 and then 48 different voices. Saying yeah. That. And it's also, it's just, it, it's, it just fills you with skepticism to say that, like how these are all worded like the exact same way, but they just switch out the country. Yeah. Not to mention technically, there's only one country, there's only one place that can be warming up faster than the rest of the world. If I understand that <laughs> sentence correctly. If logic uh, does apply in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not 12. Uh, well, I guess like if every day. Every day it's switched. Ooh, here's what it is. Okay, gotcha. In the morning time in New York City, it is heating up faster then mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. around the world where the temperature is cool because the sun sets gotcha. over in Australia, it's starting to cool off. Ah. So, yes, it just depends on what time of day the article was written. Mm. There you go. Solved it. Well, look like I got more research to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you could get back to us with uh, timestamps yeah. on each article, I'd yep. appreciate yep. that. Yep. Uh, I want to start the show. Good morning. Time to get up and go to work. God, I'm obsessed with weapons. Mm. You and me both. And the accoutrement. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about food. Yes. Uh, this is something I actually have been thinking about lately, and I just kind of came across a couple articles and started doing the old Liberty Tree research and just came across like more and more and more. And then I just go outside, let the ideas marinate and kind of connect dots that previously weren't connected and, you know, start drawing your own conclusions. Um, I thought that this is interesting because while the rest of the world is squab- you know, squabbling over whether or not we're watching a, an, an alien invasion in real time or the fa- By the way, do you find it interesting that these alien invasions are only happening in the U.S.? Honestly, I have not. You're the only person I've heard talk about the alien invasions. Yes. I don't even know. Really? Yeah, I have zero to add to this. I figure, I mean, could there be any? I mean, there is no alien invasion. Right. It's, and it's if nonsense. there was, like, 
and it affected me. I don't know. What, so you're in the movie Independence Day and you're shooting at aliens. I don't know. That, that I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. I really don't think I have much to offer. My weapons aren't going to work against them. So, you know, what's it's why worry about this? Yeah. It's, it's, I find it interesting because it's so obviously a distraction. There's all these other things going on. So I talk about when people are spending all this time. That, Go ahead. You have been talking about this. What's even more interesting is that they, and you've made this point actually, but they are trying to get people to be distracted by this. Yes. And most of us are just going, nah, I don't think so. No, it's just conspiracy <laughs> like, theorists yeah. going like, just calm down. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no alien invasion. <laughs> that's what's more, that's more interesting than So the I always think about, because you know, this isn't necessarily a current event, but I'm like, there's real shit that you need to pay attention to. And so while we distract ourselves, not us, but the proverbial we distract ourselves with alien invasions or arguing online, like whether it's a form of white supremacy to point out that, you know, testicular, you know, injuries in women's sports have gone up by 6,000% in the last two years. <laughs> or yeah, we could talk I, about... Uh, like a million percent. <laughs> yeah, or we could talk about... Uh, heart attacks and strokes in all athletes and how that has skyrocketed. I think it's amazing that more people don't talk about that because it's such an obvious thing because every day we see a new headline of some, yeah. of some sports. I, I was looking um, at the FIFA data of the amount of heart attacks that are typical in a year and then how mm-hmm. many that we've had in the last two years. It's it's pretty wild you know, given that that information is correct and it was not from some wingnut website or anything like that all of that information is just hanging out there for anyone to see mm-hmm. the death rates are something like 45 percent it's pretty well extra yeah right excess now mortality than, rates. yeah excess mortality than they were five years ago so when i see what i what i deem to be the bread and circuses the bread and circus rather of like the thing that whatever everyone's squabbling about i'm like okay like i just have that like the Trump thing. I was like, I just, I can't pay attention to this. Like, it's like, I went on uh, Huffington Post. It's like a game that I do. And on average, on average, and this is, this is correct. I actually did the math. It's like four point something percent uh, or four point something out of 10. So we're just under 50%, I believe to be what it was. On the highest day, it was seven of the 10 headlines are about Trump. Mm-hmm. It's basically a website dedicated to Trump. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, the two games I play, it's like, okay, try to guess how many out of 10 out of the top 10 headlines are about Trump. And bonus round is the, the first headline is almost always about Trump. Will it have an explanation point after it? Like, <sighs> you know, finally got him. <laughs> like, whatever it is. And, um, but point being, these are all just like distractions that people get mired in. So then when I see this, I go like, wonder what the old usual cast of characters that we talk about, like what they've been up to. And so I did a little bit of a dive. I found this quote, and this is, I thought it was kind of a cool way to kick this off. The quote is, who controls the food supply controls the people. Who controls the energy can control whole continents. Who controls the money can control the world. Does that sound familiar? No. That's from Henry. Sounds, Henry. sounds correct. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's funny when authoritarian psychopaths and people like us go like, yeah, I, I, I agree. You didn't get that one wrong. That's from uh, Henry Kissinger. Mm-hmm. He said that in 1973, which was the year that he ironically won the Nobel Peace Prize, which we will get into. But uh, we also the year we won the Vietnam War. <laughs> 
Yes, and I'm going to point out why we won the <laughs> Vietnam War and why the phrase Vietnam War is incorrect. I'm sorry, did I say war? I <laughs> yes. meant to say police action. So we've done a dive on Henry Kissinger before, but just quickly, he was a Secretary of State from 1973 to 1977 and the National Security Advisor from 1969 to 73, among other things. This guy's been a politically connected uh, foreign mostly military advisor for almost his entire year. Uh, in my opinion, and you can do this research, he is probably one of the most notorious war criminals in modern history. Mm -hmm. um, up there with probably like Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld and everyone else from the project for a new American century. I think he's actually worse if you just look at body count and the amount of blood that this guy has on his hands. And that's that's debatable, but only barely. I mean, most right. people agree that he was... He's been at worst. it for longer. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. So uh, we won't go through everything, but, you know, just type in Henry Kissinger and a dildo and, uh, and war criminal and see what shows up. Dude, just... Go to his Wikipedia page. He's not trying to hide this shit. I mean, just look at, like, the history of Henry Kissinger, and it's just like war, death, war, death. And even he is recommending against the Ukraine conflict. So. <laughs> oh, look, so we're going to get into that. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Um but so you don't have so if you don't want to do that research because uh, if you're not don't have this weird morbid curiosity, uh, he was essentially like giving the green light in the last. 70, 80 years, something like that, for military actions that resulted in the deaths of tens of millions of people in Asia, Africa, uh, Europe, Latin America, a lot of Latin America, um, pretty much all over the world, I guess you can say. And to reference to what you were just saying before, I say military actions, not wars, because war, according to our Constitution, has to, what, have the approval of Congress. Correct. Right? That's what we voted on. Yes, and it's funny to have conversations. This is like a bit of a side street, but these people that flippantly mention like what wars are, what wars, I'm using my finger quotes there, are just and what aren't. And of course, I'm driving to the point as you did with Ukraine. And was like, all of a sudden the left is pro-war, pro-military invention. And we're using the word war colloquially, not in the technical sense, obviously, because no war has been declared. And, but... I want to make the point that... <laughs> the old uh, colloquial <laughs> definition of war. Colloquial war. Not technically what a war is, yes. but uh, what we plebes consider war, which is mainly mm, vast death and destruction yeah. caused by... Decades-long bombing campaigns. Caused by fighting <laughs> governments on behalf of their <clears throat> plebes that live under their control. And so... I I I, was, I was think of this, and I've actually brought it up with a couple of friends that give you the well. So explain to me why we're going. What? Why are you stand with Ukraine? Like we're fighting a proxy war with Russia. They're going like, what's the phrase that we're, we always try to fish out of people? This one's different, right? And you go like, yeah, but the people telling you that were the same people that said that about Syria and Libya and Somalia and Afghanistan and Pakistan and. All that turned out to be wrong. I was like, but we, you got like this one right. Like, explain it to me. So we started calling it like, as we go into a, a not war in Ukraine or just like a simple military action, then you get kind of involved in the minutia or as what you call it, the game of whack-a-mole because then people start skipping around. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, stay on this point. Explain to me how this is different, you know, yeah. and then you start backtracking about Putin and then, you know, they'll get into some Trump, obviously. Obviously. Like, can you stay with like... Here is my one question. Mm -hmm. How is this one different? 
explain that to me? I think the best answer we got was uh, from Trevor telling us that uh, the intelligence agencies are better at their job now than they were when we invaded Iraq. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was an answer. It was a fucking answer. The guy gave up. He gave an answer. You know, you can't accuse him of playing whack-a-mole. I mean, he was playing whack-a-mole, but at least he fucking gave us something. Right. And they were, you know. They are better at their jobs, but not in the way that he (laughs) meant. And then when you attach it to the idea of Ukraine, and we're not going to spend a bunch of time on this, um, but then people like us, it's like, I see all of these things as the same. And I feel like, you know, this might be a little bit self-serving and congratulatory, but I'm kind of looking from a 40,000 foot level, um, which is about the elevation. They don't strike people, by the way. And when you look down, I'm like, I, I look at Ukraine and Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan and Syria and Somalia and Libya and all, you know, how far do you want to go back? I look at it as all the same because up till now, it's almost entirely been the wrong decision to go into a military action. It's never worked out better, right? Iraq's not a better place now. Syria's not a better place now. Yemen's not a bad place now, which we're not in Yemen, but we're providing the infrastructure for the Saudis for one of the world's largest genocides right now. Yeah. And, and so I go, like, if, 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 you know, if we can lay out 20 examples and they were all like, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that, you know, you broke it, you buy it, shouldn't have done that. And then here we are in Ukraine. It's like, at what point, like, what, what point do we say, like, stop? Stop, stop doing this. I think that uh, Scott Horton tried to hold uh, Bill McChrystal's Crystal. or Crystal's uh, yeah. feet to the fire with that question. And, yeah. and Crystal's only thing he'd come up with was Kosovo. <laughs> okay. Have you looked into the, the details of the Kosovo? Very little. It is a difficult one to wrap your, your yeah. head around. I, I've watched a few documentaries on it. And I'm still kind of like foggy on the, the details of that. Uh, yeah, and that it, war. And when you connect that, you get the kind of backtrack. Like, well, it wasn't a like a war. War. We were liberating the people because they wanted freedom. And he had WMD. He didn't have WMD. So that's like, well, okay. Like, the other guy was gonna gas his own people. So we had to go in there and stabilize the region, right? I mean, that's come on, have a heart. He's gonna get a gas all his own people. Uh, we went in there, stabilized it, and then we just said, we're gonna go home. The only way we won't go home is he gas his own people. I mean. God wouldn't you know it. wouldn't you know it? <laughs> he cast his own people so so we had to stay he just didn't want us to leave and it just right? what, it we were gonna right. leave him alone right. and he said you know i uh i know this is the greatest military force in the world and they've devastated every single country around me but god if i just if i let him go i don't know what am i gonna do with my time so i gotta gas him <laughs> sorry gas him gas him <laughs> And then you pull back and say, like, okay, whether it was a war or a war war or not technically a war or a liberation campaign, you know, or we're just going to go in and organize things a little bit, you know, kind of clean up the mess, you have to ask a simple couple of questions. And maybe this is a fun exercise for the friend that you might have, you know, that stands with Ukraine and is telling you this one is different. You just ask this. You go, well, is relentlessly bombing a country or taking your military in there and you know at the best case scenario a hundred thousand innocent people are killed usually it's closer to a million is that an act of war i mean i'd love to hear the argument that that's not an act of war if someone did that to this country would be like that's an act of war yeah i don't see uh 
any way around that. Yes. Without some using uh, words. And so the <laughs> only way around that is <laughs> words. Headlines, preferably, so that and you can so lie. And so if this person is at all, you know, operating with some sort of cognitive function, is going to say, like, yes, that's an act of war. And then you go, when was the last time we declared war with the approval of Congress, which, according to the Constitution, is the only way we can go to war, right? That would be 1942, i yep. This person would say, uh, Afghanistan, like, no. Iraq, no. Syria, <laughs> no. Libya, no. Pakistan, nope. Uh, first time Iraq, nope, 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 nope. Uh, geez, Vietnam, yeah. No, actually, no, not Vietnam either. The last time that we had they, approval for Congress is, as you said, World War II. They do try to say that uh, Congress voted to go into Iraq, mm-hmm. which is technically they, they did, mm-hmm. but they would not declare war. Yeah, there was no approval. I mean, they there, voted there was to approve <laughs> the <laughs> military, the police action. <laughs> Something We, we approve uh, providing democracy to the Middle East. So to keep the math simple, if bombing countries usually for years to decades at a time, is an act of war. And we haven't had congressional approval since World War II. That would make every war, not war, or war, war, or military campaign, that would make that what? Illegal. Illegal. This seems fairly straightforward to me. Here's the problem, though. Yes. Who committed the crime? You'll never get that far in the the conversation. (laughs) Who committed the crime? What do you mean? Well, did the president commit the crime? Because therefore it's not a crime. Because he didn't get approval from Congress? Did Congress commit the crime by Mm -hmm. not stopping it? Or, you know, it's kind of like when... You remember that book, uh, Freedom... uh, No, uh, Shop Classes, Soulcraft? Yes. In that book, which I highly recommend, uh, along with... That's an amazing book. My book, uh, The Great American Contractor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he talks about how in this guy's good cor- <laughs> corporate jobs, which he had before he decided to be a motorcycle mechanic, become a, a guy that made his living with his hands. He, um, he was saying that in, in corporate America, no one is actually accountable for the mistakes that they make. Cause everything is done by a team. Yeah. There's no, like you fucked up there. You know, the, the, you you broke a pipe and the, you flooded the house and now you're fucking it's fired. It's not like a job site where you're like, yeah. who framed this? Right. It's just <laughs> not right. Who framed this? Well, we're a team, so technically we all framed. I mean, I was helping Jimmy hold the board in place and then Juan came over and he set the nails and then Pedro hammered them home. So, you know, really there's nobody to blame. It's like, yeah. We so, all need to do better. Right. I wasn't here that day. I don't need to do better. This is incorrect. Right. I, I want to know who did it. I'm not even saying that is a good point to bring, to bring up. And I'm not even saying there's, I'm not trying to be like a Scott Horton. Like there's never a reason to go in another country. I would love to hear the argument, a cogent argument of why we need to go into another country. Right. I'm mm-hmm. interested in hearing that side. I'm not saying like it was never just, it was never right. And, it's, it, and then I also, cause I try to be cognizant in the fact that I was born in the greatest country in the world. I have all these privileges and um, just wonderful, easy life, right, compared to someone in, like, Syria, for example, or Libya. And I try that, I try to always remember that that has a connection. Don't gloss over the fact that there's a correlation between that and the fact that we have the world's largest military, right? That I can have this, like, comfortable life. 
because they go around and police the rest of the world to some extent. Now, at what point that should be dialed back or whatever is an entirely different kind of conversation. I'm merely pointing it out as a fact that I, th- I just feel like it's a contradiction when you hear someone say, well, Putin is a bad guy, you know, and it was an act of war because he just waltzed in, into Crimea and declared himself in charge. I was like, okay, but have, how is that different from what we've, we've done? That's called whataboutism, and you're not allowed to do <laughs> Dude, it. And that's why I can never have these conversations. It's like you're playing whack-a-mole mm-hmm. all of a sudden. And when someone says that, I was like, okay, well, point out specifically the part I'm getting wrong and explain to me why I'm wrong. And just it never goes there. It's so frustrating. No. no. So speaking of, to bring it back to Henry Kissinger, and we're getting into like Alice in Wonderland territory, is we won't do a full dive on Henry Kissinger, but his decisions resulted in the deaths of like tens of millions of people all over the world. And he was the responsible one. He made the decision to use Agent Orange in Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, which resulted in the deaths of millions of innocent civilians in those countries and American Americans too. And a lot of plants. And a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. And those, the effects of that decision are still being seen today. I mean, mm-hmm. horrific birth effects. Right. People in America that were exposed to that horrific health problems still to this day that we see that and so at that point obviously in 1973 we gave him the nobel peace prize he also i don't know if this adds to your point but he was also uh responsible for all of the extra curricular or outside of the the limits bombing yeah campaigns which is still to this day resulting in they were war crimes people dying yeah because of all the unexploded munitions that are still blowing up in laos cambodia places that we weren't supposed to be in in the first place right well it wasn't a war it wasn't a war war it was just a a capital w war so that made it okay because if okay let me do this math real quick so if you gas your own people. We're going to have a not war, but war, but not war. Like a, like a military intervention. But if we gas someone else's people, that's a not war military campaign. Yeah, you see how, see how it kind of makes sense? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Very glad, clear. Glad I brought that up. Okay, back to the quote. Who controls the food supply controls the people. Food. You a fan? Yeah, I, I, honestly. I mean, if you could just give me a pill and I could just skip the I whole know, thing. I say that. I would do it. It's where we do not agree. I'm a huge fan. So back to what I was talking about, people distracting themselves with the bread and circuses, like being thrown at us while people like us continue our own hard-hitting, truth-seeking, independent journalism <laughs> rarely make mistakes. <laughs> so for the last two years... Except when it comes to Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for the last two years... Two companies have been buying, slowly buying up anything and everything to do with our food supply. Take a wild guess who those two companies are. BlackRock and Vanguard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's estimated these two companies manage. Is, this one is hard to nail down, but they, they manage somewhere between 15 and $25 trillion in assets, which is the bigger, larger than the GDP of, like, I don't know how many countries. Mm-hmm. It's a, a wild amount of money. Still not as much as how the U.S. is in debt for, <laughs> but... Um, and lest we forget, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink is an integral component of the World Economic Forum. And 
always giving speeches. Like, we can get some of that later. But he's also the guy pushing for ESG, although he's distanced himself just from the term ESG, although he has reframed it, like, with some different language, different names or whatever. But he was the main pusher of ESG, mm-hmm. which is environmental social governments. It's basically a creating, like, a woke score to corporations, mm-hmm. which would explain... All the, all the fucking commercials you've seen in the last year, probably. Uh, he's also pushing for the CBDC, and he's the one, as saying with the ESG, this bo- bizarre, like, woke to- uh, takeover of American consumerism and commercialism. Now, it was interesting to take a note of, like, they have more, this is just within food, is these companies are buying up, like, every anything to do with food. And it's kind of interesting because the more I looked into it is that they had more of a holistic authoritarian model, I guess you could say, (laughs) is that they're not just buying up food production companies. Like Bill Gates is buying up farmland, like aggressively as much as he can. So are these guys, by the way. But they are also buying up anything to do with basically you can call our system of food, our food food production. So they're buying up um, storage facilities and railways, and like what's needed for the transportation, uh, the food production facilities, and yeah. the farmland to actually do <clears throat> the food. They're, they're going whole hog over like, you know, here in Sonoma County or, you know, or Northern California, we pride ourselves on all these like boutique restaurants of like, yeah, it's farm to table, right? It's a nice little boutique system. Your farmer lived down the road, blah, blah, blah. So um, we can call this uh, authoritarian psychopath to table. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a nice ring to it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. So... Just to get into some of the specifics, BlackRock, BlackRock and Vanguard, they're the largest shareholders in companies like uh, CD Holdings, which is the world's largest fertilizer company. So even the fertilizer, they're buying Union Pacific. They're the largest owners of Union Pacific, the railway company, which is the main, for agriculture out of the Midwest, is the main way to get produce to the coast, right? All, the, all those silly flyover states that produce all the food that people on the coast like to make fun of. In California, we produce a lot of food here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the Midwest, like, you know, Nebraska and, you know, all those places, it's, they, they bank on that railway system, which now BlackRock is the largest shareholder in. Then they also started buying up all the food production companies. So Nestle, PepsiCo, Mars, General Mills, Kellogg's, Unilever, Coca-Cola, which is kind of funny because on that list, you know, when you see General Mills and Kellogg's. When you say buying them up, what do you mean? What they do is they become the largest shareholder in the country, which gives But they're the largest shareholder in every company. That's true. But they're aggressively buying up food production companies. This wasn't the case just just a while ago. Okay. So when I noticed that General Mills and Kellogg's and even PepsiCo and Nestle these are, what, what comes to mind? Cereal? Uh, corn syrup? <laughs> Cereal, corn syrup, weird processed breakfast foods. Yeah. I just couldn't help Seed but... oils? I couldn't help but think of, uh, what is that, a year ago, a year and a half, the new food compass all of yes. a sudden comes out of yes. like, that has things like Lucky Charms and Honey Nut Cheerios are supposedly all of a sudden more healthy for you than you know, butter and milk and eggs. chicken and eggs. <laughs> so to quote... Maniac CEO of BlackRock. It's just, it, you have to force behaviors. So one, that's Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock. And he's been quoted, I saw, that's not the first time he has said that. I got him in other places. The quote that I have written down is, it's time to force beha- people's behaviors to change. 
Yeah, we've played that in the pod before. Right, and we've, we've done that quite a bit before. So one of the first things BlackRock and Vanguard decide, decided to do after acquiring, once they became the majority shareholder of Union Pacific, one of the first things they did, and this is going to get back to our collection of climate change headlines, is they reduced, they, they mandated restrictions that reduced wa- railway activity by 20%, just right off the bat, because of... Climate change. Climate change, right. Uh, this also, coincidentally, had the effect that it created a strain on all the small to medium-sized farms in the surrounding areas, and like Nebraska and Texas and Iowa and California. Um, this would, all, this would it create a strain on them because also there wasn't the... The infrastructure had been limited so much, which does what to the cost yeah. of getting right drives up the cost. And when the transportation costs of your food goes up, the price of your food, everything became more expensive. Mm-hmm. Which most of us uh, can see if we walk out our front door right now and, <laughs> and go to the store as mm-hmm. compared to four years ago, right? Or maybe we just did this because Larry Fink was worried about climate change. Mm-hmm. C- could be other one. And what do you think he's intentionally driving up the cost of food to make more money off the food, or is it no. a control and it's control? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't need money, right? Right? No, <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> if anyone doesn't, glad you asked that question, though, because I'm going to propose like a couple hypothetical, just things to kind of put in the background, like when you hear these stories, because for these people is or your Bill Gates, right? Or your Klaus Schwab's. Like these people are obscenely rich. Mm-hmm. It's, and I'm hard pressed to think of the argument that it's, well, I want even more money. It's about power. Yeah. And it's about ideology. It's these guys get together, which is the World Economic Forum and Davos, and they go like, okay, obviously we need to be running the show. We need to make these decisions. We need to start grooming people that are on board. You know, your Justin Trudeau's for Mm -hmm. Gavin Newsom's, for example. Mm -hmm. And we have the money to do anything that we want, right? What we don't want is more money. What we want is power, right? Right. Power and subjugation. And we need like, we need people to be compliant for these ideas to go off. And we have to figure out, that's why like COVID was such, I think such a, amazing thing that happened Mm -hmm. is the way that everyone was just on board people just sitting in their house waiting like i wonder if if they'll let me know if i can go to work tomorrow or like go down to the park or whatever and as we always joke is that these psychopaths were like looking at the plebes going like holy shit we didn't think it was gonna be this easy yeah i I don't know if this is the right place to interject this or not but As this whole time that you've been talking, I've been thinking, like, we we waffle back and forth, probably me more than you. About guns? <laughs> but whether they should be illegal or not. <laughs> um, it's every, I, for whatever reason, maybe it's because we spent the weekend uh, doing off-the-grid sustainable yeah. shit, like just shooting and training. And, you know, I have the, I'm filled with an optimism right now that, they're not going to be able to pull off what they what they think they were. And just to what you said, like how easy it was in COVID to convince everyone, that is true. But it's also, I have this other list that I've been compiling, this list of own goals that the, the psychopaths in charge have committed mm-hmm. on themselves. And COVID woke a lot of people up also. Yeah. 
And homeschooling is like off the charts yeah. right now. People are like, no, I'm sorry. You're not going to brainwash my kids anymore. Right. You know, a lot of things have come out. And uh, in the past, when totalitarian regimes have gotten control over a population, they did it in an environment that was not, well, let's just say not the same as today's environment. Mm-hmm. So things are going to be different this time. And I am... Oh, and you're leading us exactly where I want to go. <laughs> well, <laughs> so then great. let me try to be uh, preemptively contradictory to you okay. and say that I have a lot of optimism that mm-hmm. people are not going to allow America to be uh, taken over whole heart, whole whole hog mm-hmm. in this way where all the food is going to be controlled by one guy and all the energy and, and even California, you know, is going to just acquiesce and become this kind of Canadian state. I, I don't know why I'm feeling so <laughs> optimistic right now, but I have a lot of faith that, uh, we'll be able to resist this. I partially agree with you. I don't have a lot of, I can't say I have faith in everyone, uh, which I learned during the COVID pandemic. I have uh, faith in more people than I thought I would have, um, Again, going into the pandemic, it just—I think it waked a lot of people up. Mm-hmm. Um, I—I'm glad that you said that because your Larry Finks and your Trudeaus and your Klaus Schwabs and your Gavin Newsoms and you know what we think about as the authoritarian psychopaths—the names who's always pop up over and over and over with consistency with just some nuisance, like just nonsense law or some authoritarian crackdown or your Gavin Newsom. Like, he just gave up his emergency powers like last month or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's ridiculous. And I, but they, these people are not dumb. Like Kamala Harris is dumb. I think it was after he won that award for uh, how well he dealt with COVID. <laughs> yeah. Did, did he give it to himself? Like, yes, uh, <laughs> he actually did. <laughs> so I can't jump there just yet. But I think that these people are smart and they know, like, we can't just, we can't just say, this is what we're doing now. This is the new thing, right? We want to, we want a CBDC and uh, annual vaccine schedule and all this stuff. Cause like, there's just too many people who are like, fuck no, no. And it's going to wake just like the pandemic is the, you know, your average person, you know, that has some critical thinking that doesn't pay attention to this is like, that makes no sense. Like that's, that's ridiculous. Right. So what they have to do is create the conditions for which people are like they're I think they're constantly brainstorming like what do we have to do to like do these things? Like right. how, how can we can how can we manipulate a population which like we did in COVID, which my personal opinion is COVID was a dry run to see if they could pull shit like this off. Yeah. Um, we won't get into the new pandemic that's come up with uh, disease X and the Eris variant. And they're already talking about lockdowns and that, stuff like that. You mean that one that's going to happen in April? Yeah. <laughs> April, May. April, May. And yeah, April. Yeah, something like that. Um, good news with disease. Mark your calendar. Good folks. news with disease X is um, they, they have this technology. It's, it's more of a, like a technique for making a disease more deadly in the lab. It's like making the function more Do they deadly. like enhance the function of it? They try yeah, to... like so it gains function. Okay, it gets... Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, uh, there's like a phrase for it. I can't remember. But they had figured that out for disease X, which could very well be the culprit for the new pandemic. But because of this um, 
enhancement of fun- uh, function, you know, yeah. making the Gaining function gain, the yeah. Function, yeah, is they uh, are already going to have a vaccine ready for it. Oh, thank God. Huh? That's great. So you, what you're telling me is that what there I- there could be this disease called mm-hmm. disease X mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. and it could be extra deadly if someone were to gain some function out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that it's was the how case, they came up with the disease. So just in case mm-hmm. they have a vaccine ready to go for this right. theoretical disease that right. may or may not happen. Yeah, so after this... Do uh, they have a million of these or... Yes, no, no, they're going to have them <laughs> at the ready. That was the problem is that we didn't have enough vaccines for COVID. Uh, so they're going to have the right amount this time. What they ought to do is just come up with a lot of diseases so mm-hmm. that they can make vaccines in case those diseases happen to evolve naturally exactly. from a bat market in some country. Right. So much as to say when we're done with this podcast, I'm going to go out and knife your fucking tires. But good news. I sell tires. I got them in my garage. And I'll give you, oh. to, you, at, I'll give you to you at a good price. Wow. Huh? Okay. So... Thank you, I guess. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) It took you a while. Okay. Now to go back to the psychopaths. So that... um, Not us. Yeah. Larry Fink uh, and BlackRock bought up the... uh, It became a majority shareholder for Union Pacific. At the same time, um, the major transporter of agricultural goods in Canada, uh, which is the Canadian National Railway, um, they did the exact same 20% reduction because of climate change. So right when you and Pacific did that, um, Canadian National Railway did the same thing, which had the same effect of like all these other farmers like, yeah, you're kind of squeezing us out here. Like now due to supply and demand, like we can only transport so much. So now the price has gone up. Um, do you, the thing is, the little wrinkle is that the majority shareholder of Canadian National Railway is not BlackRock or Vanguard. Canadian government? We would State be Street. we would be remiss to talk about an authoritarian agenda of subjugation in the name of climate change without mentioning Bill Gates, vaccine fanatic, mosquito enthusiast, and frequent visitor of Epstein Island, old Willie Gates. <laughs> yes, sir, <laughs> Willie Gates. So now we have to run through some. We're gonna have some hypothetical scenarios. All right, right. This will be fun. Okie dokie. <laughs> have how. To go back to what we were talking about before, it's like, why? Who benefits? Que bono. That's the only Latin phrase I know. And carpe diem. Mm. And uh, means what? Uh, seize the day. Ah, okay. <laughs> e it, pluribus unum. Mm, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Read that somewhere. Man, now I think about it, I know Latin. <laughs> <laughs> they called it a dead language. <laughs> <laughs> Live and well at the Liberty Tree Podcast. So you have, to, you have to answer the why. Like, so what? Maybe they just are... Maybe they just want to be rich. Or they just want to own everything, everything, everything. Which is you get in, now we get into the hypotheticals. And to get in the hypotheticals, it can't be purely hypothetical. Like, here's what I think, because I think they're psychopaths. Which is still a great conversation, by the way. Yeah. But. You find someone that's willing to have it. When you look at how the timing of these things, you know what I mean? Because they could buy anything in the world at this point. Mm-hmm. But when they're doing an aggressive push just for anything related to food production at the same time that Bill Gates is buying up farmland and buying up the Canadian National Railway, like, huh, these things almost seem like concurrent. Mm-hmm. Almost like there's maybe, I don't know, they had a discussion about this before they randomly bought up all the same kind of assets mm-hmm. right at the same time. So let's just say 
that we talk about Larry Fink and BlackRock and Vanguard who and Bill Gates, who are very much affiliated with the World Economic Forum, who has a very clear agenda that would align with a lot of these things. Like, let's say they wanted to implement a CBDC. They do. Uh, an annual, annual, annual mandated vaccine schedule, they do. Or they would want restrictive control on what you eat, drive, and what your perceived carbon footprint produce, right? They do. They say these things. Yes. Bill Gates says this. Larry Fink says this. World, Econ- World Economic Forum, it's on their fucking website. Yes. And these are all, you know, these people attend the exact same meetings. So is this outside the realm of possibility, as we always do? Like, put this in the context of the pandemic. So Larry Fink, Bill Gates get together. They decide they have had, at this point, acquired enough farmland food production facilities, mechanisms of transport, and they've squeezed out enough of the smaller farmers by, you know, manipulating the railway ri- lines, you know, which drives up the, the cost of food. And now this poor farmer who's making less and less and less and less gets behind on his, let's say, hypothetically, he gets behind his land, can't afford the taxes, has to give up the farmland that's been in his, gener- you know, in his family for generations and generations, which either goes back to the bank or BlackRock can come in and buy it for fucking pennies on the dollar, right? Point being is you have less and less... Let's just call these small to medium-sized farmers independent, more or less. Mm-hmm. You know, they're part of the big ag industry or whatever. But compared to an entity like a BlackRock or Vanguard or Bill Gates, they're essentially a small farmer, right? And then you have people that are not growing their own food because, I don't know why I put this in there, but because they read in the Atlantic that having a garden is a form of white supremacy, which is an actual fucking article, mm-hmm. which I pay fucking $80 a year for. <laughs> on you and for those of you that just go like okay well food became that scarce or that expensive you know you get these people struggling like well i just i grow my own food just like that to support your whole family you're gonna grow all your own food. are you doing that now no yeah. you're not growing that so you're just gonna jump right into farming and you start that you have the land once you're already starving yeah you have the <laughs> land you're already starving right <laughs> And you're going to support enough food from a garden all year long to support. Shut up. You don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> well, we can hunt too. Yeah. So point being that you eventually get to the point, and I think we are getting to that point, that the majority of the food and the food that your family eats are going to have very much World Economic Forum affiliated uh, Bill Gates and Larry Fink at the top of your food supply, right? Whether you like it or not. Yeah, because if anything, whatever comes into the grocery stores, it's like that's what we have to buy. I mean, you and I have gardens. We grow a lot of food. There's no way I'm growing anywhere close enough to support my whole family, right? And I spend a it's a ton of work, yeah, and a ton of knowledge. You don't just jump right in there. Whereas like the people go like, I just hunt. I'd hunt, you know, get my own meat. Like you've never hunted before. Have froze? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So this is where it gets dark, but it's, it's a hypothetical. So. They decide, Larry Fink, BlackRock, Vanguard, Bill Gates, and they have done this with that 20% reduction in the railway usage because of climate change. Climate change. They decide to start tightening the spigot on the railways or slow down food production a little. All of a sudden, you start seeing certain things not showing up in your grocery store, mm-hmm. right? And they kind of ease you into it, and they get you used to just like, it becomes a little more commonplace to just stop seeing certain things or just, yeah, we just don't get this every once in a while. And next week it might be that. And the NPCs around you start calling it the new 
Normal. Normal. And then a little more, maybe stores, because they can't have enough in stock or they're selling out. So stores are only open a couple days a week, right? Three, four days a week. It's like we just don't have anything. The, the, the shipment didn't get here, right? There's only so much. Like we're getting less and less and less and less food. And so do you remember the, the great toilet paper shortage mm-hmm. 2020? Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden you couldn't get toilet paper. Well, why was that, though? I still have Chinese toilet paper rolls left over <laughs> from that time because we almost ran out of toilet paper. <laughs> and so I ordered some on uh, Amazon and they came like six months later and they're all like the, the size of like those little, like they're little tiny, like two inch tall. I don't know. They don't fit <laughs> on a roll or anything. <laughs> just a bunch of like miniature toilet paper rolls. <laughs> they're really cute. <laughs> Weird. I know. <laughs> yeah. Scary, what, scary times. What, what had happened, though, is that there was a semi-shortage of toilet paper. Yeah. But what would happen when the store would get toilet paper? I would go in and take all of it. Yes. You and everyone else. People <laughs> no, I beat like, everyone else to the <laughs> store. <laughs> I knew Man, what time the truck was showing up. You were like two steps ahead of me, Janae. It's, <laughs> it's great. I love it. <laughs> and... It created shortages, and shortages create the panic buying, and then the price inflation, you know, you know, so the prices go up because there's a scarcity because of supply and demand, which basically ratchets, ratchets the effect of the things I just mentioned. Like, it just, it creates, uh, it's an upward spiral <laughs> of, like, chaos almost. Mm-hmm. It just goes up. It gets, the problem gets worse and worse and worse. Without the product, until we get more product, this, pro- this shortage creates a psychological phenomenon, and they all kind of conflate together and make everything worse. And so then you think about that the stores are all of a sudden aren't getting the products. And this, this is just a wacky hypothetical here is with the stores not getting the products. So the stores are open less and less. And then you got places like California, New York, Massachusetts, all of a sudden trucks, like we don't go into those states anymore because the EPA regulations, like we just can't afford to do business there. And so the trucking companies leave California or the trucking companies from out of state won't be, they'll drop it off of the border, which is already happening. You remember like with lumber, Mm-hmm. Uh, in 20, 2020, I believe, 2021, whatever, they made that new EPA regulation. And it was your lumber, if you ordered lumber, it took a long time because he's like, the trucking companies drop it off the border. We have to send a separate trucking company from California to go pick it up. And it adds like two days to your delivery or whatever. And it was because of the EPA reg- regulations, right? Mm-hmm. So things get worse, right? Okay. So as this this upward spiral of chaos goes on, so now you're getting things like, and let me know like how outside of the realm of possibility this is, but shoplifting and robberies become more commonplace, right? Mm. There's no food. We're running out of food. Okay. So, so you're you're hypothesizing that as food disappears from the shelves, yeah, we start to see more shoplifting and robberies, right? Well, because the reason I hesitate on that is because we're seeing more shoplifting and robberies now. But yeah, it's we not, don't even it, have the shortage yet. Well, it's not because of the shortage. No. It's for There's, entirely different reasons. Yeah, right. There's no shortage yet. So when people go like, you know, then all of a sudden you have huge lines at the grocery store, fights start breaking out in those lines because everyone's under like all this stress. Like, I don't, I'm not going to get in there in time for me to have food. Mm-hmm. People go like, I don't, I think that's a little extreme. I'm like, well, the shoplifting and robbery thing is just said is already happening. 
Yeah, yeah, but for different reasons. Yeah, for different reasons. But don't tell me that humans aren't incapable of just like not crossing this barrier. And then you think about, and I also think about something I learned when we had the fires here, right? And I saw everyone was, we didn't know who was being evacuated, right? It was a super volatile time. You know, you, you're, you're getting an, you get an emergency alert, like you're going to be evacuated. So it's like, what do you have to do? I got to gas up my car. I got to get everything ready. And you're just sitting tight. And it's like, you don't get evacuated. And then the next day you might, cause they didn't know what the fire was going to do and who was going to get evacuated. I saw two fights at gas stations cause the lines to the gas to get there were so disorganized and chaotic and people were so desperate. You know, they got their family in the car. The first fight was on the second day. The third fight was on, or the first fight was on the second day. The second fight I saw was on the third day. So we're only three days in, and you're seeing like a breakdown of the social, social order, and not to say like you just you animals you can't you know contain yourselves like you can't behave can't be like civil or whatever. But when you put the safety of someone's family on the line in a desperate situation and put them in a in a constant state of fear of a day or two, like it doesn't take a whole lot for the social order to break down. Would you not agree? I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So think of what recently happened in Venezuela. Right mm-hmm. is and also to tie it back into bigger picture, Liberty Tree is think of the strategy of tension and the trauma-based mind control. What was the tipping point for Venezuela going off the rails? Uh, was the oil prices <laughs> dropping. <laughs> I say like technically it was them centralizing <laughs> and giving state control yeah. of their most lucrative resource. But once, I mean, after that, like when the, the social order completely broke down is that they were starving. Right. That's when they started rioting in streets. They were going through trash. They were eating fucking street animals. And then you had the cops go in to try to control everything. Now you got clashes with the cops. You got violent gangs like roaming around just looking for food and anything, right? And just constant chaos. Do you remember like some of the footage from Venezuela? At that uh-huh. Time? Yeah, it was insane. So, so society had broken down and it only took a matter of weeks. Like once you hit that tipping point of like, it's not only that I'm starving, we don't have enough food, but then the strategy of tension, you know, suggests that like, I don't know if, when more food is coming. doesn't look like food's ever coming. Like that's the scary part, right? Mm-hmm. Is that they have been... Uh, psychologically broken to such an extent that they were reduced to basically animal behavior. Just were out there like killing each other in the streets, you know, getting killed by cops, killing cops, killing each other, stealing each other's shit, looking through for the tra- through the trash for food, right? They're desperate, right? So what was Venezuela's response when things got to that to that point? I don't know. They sent in the military mm-hmm. and just <laughs> basically like just fucking run them over with tanks at this point. Like, if they're going to go out there in a the fight and street, like, I don't, don't watch the footage, but you've seen it. It's, like, brutal. It's, like, uh, I, I would hope nothing like that ever happens in the U.S., but, yeah, they have a very different response <laughs> in Venezuela mm-hmm. for, for that kind of stuff. And then, because you kind of think about, when we talk about, like, what are the chances, like, society breaking out, of people, like, starting to riot? And I always think I'm all... Well, people riot when their sports team wins a world, you know, the NBA finals. Or if they lose, they'll riot then too. Like it doesn't take a whole lot. Or, you know, because when you have this conversation with someone that just wants to be like blue pilled and like everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, you're like, yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot for things not to be fine. And that's what we talk about on this all the time, right? And 
I think people have an overly optimistic view of like how fragile society actually is. I mean, mm -hmm. we can look at what happened two years ago. It was like social order completely broke down in mm -hmm. almost every major city. Like it didn't take a whole lot and it lasted in some places for a long time. Yeah. And then <laughs> to go back to Alice in Wonderland, we called it the New Normal. <laughs> or the summer of love. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So when you get a situation like this that you had in like Venezuela, for example, just because I happened to bring that up. As we a, didn't call you know, it that, by the way. Yes. Yeah, as a historical example is then the dust settles, right? Military comes down, fucking cracks down. It's like, if anyone fights back, mow them down, like get rid of that person. Like, and everyone's going to be, they're going to go back to their house. They're going to stay there. They're not allowed to come out. Like, I don't know. We could call it a, lockdown, I guess, or something like that, is basically martial law at that point. And then to say the dust settles, right? Everything kind of slows down a little bit. And what are you left with, according to history? You're left with a vacuum of, like, people going, like, okay, like, now what? Now what? Like, we just came out of, like, I thought I was going to die two weeks ago, and we had this full crackdown. I saw the disintegration of the society around me, and everyone comes out, and it creates, like, a power vacuum. And then you have the, per the people, person, or persons, at the top of that power hierarchy, go like, okay, we'll give you the new kind of state of things, the new order. And that's what I think about when we talk about strategy attention and trauma-based mind controls, that once a system has been like sufficiently destroyed and a, and a population has been in a constant state of fear to, for long enough, they'll accept virtually anything that the person at the top of that power hierarchy will basically feed you. So... Good example of this, Colleen Stan. It's like, look, you know what you've been through for the last year? Sign this contract. Don't run away. Don't raise your voice. Don't tell anyone. We're going to let you go outside and do yard work and go jogging for an hour. And she has been broken. So she goes, yeah, that refers to the headbox episode that we mm -hmm. did, right? And so that's, she, that, that vacuum that she experienced, she goes, I just, I need something. I need, like, anything's better than this. And whatever they propose, okay, I get, to, I get to go out, take this head box out for an hour and go outside. Like, yes, I'm willing to accept that. Like, they were broken. I think the same things can happen with societies. Don't you think? Uh, I'm skeptical. Uh, so you're saying that the Blacks, Black Rock and State Street and Bill Gates um, are going to starve people to the point where they, society completely breaks down. And creates a a power vacuum, mm -hmm. riots in the streets, and total just chaos. And then in they're going to step into this power vacuum that they and and we're all going to accept this new uh, order mm -hmm. based on on that. I don't know. It just seems like too many dominoes have to fall in the right way. I could see just as easily some other. Uh, force filling that power vacuum. You know, like when the when the Soviets took over in Russia, there was a, a power structure in place before they uh, they took over. And there was a, a war and, and, yes, a power vacuum. And who stepped into it? Just a, a bunch of fucking nerds mm -hmm. that uh, didn't, you know, didn't have any power at the time. And that totally reshaped, you know, the world mm -hmm. from that. I just feel like, I mean, maybe they're trying to do that, but it just seems like that is way too, like, accurate of a shot to, to try to pull that off. Plus, they're already in power, 
So why not just do the, just the, 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 the frog in the boiling water trick? You know, I don't, what is, it almost seems like that's like step one is them controlling the food. They pretty much do control the food. Supply. Right. Yeah, and then yeah. what is the step two? Like, why are they, they doing it? And your answer from what, if I'm reading you right, is that they're doing it in order to restrict our food, which is then going to get us to riot in which case, then they're going to put some power structure in place. But they're already kind of in power, aren't they? Not really, because there's other steps that they want to do. So the biggest one would be the CBDC. It's complete compliance. CBDC, would you agree that that's top of their, like one of the main yeah. things they're pushing, right? Absolutely. 15-minute city. CBDC is going to bail them out of all the, the shitty yeah. monetary policy. That CBDC, 15-minute city, getting everyone out of the rural areas into basically cities mm-hmm. we're building up right you have no space you'll own nothing and like it uh once in that 15 minute city which we did we did a deep we did a deep dive on that right uh yeah yeah it was a medium dive medium dive <laughs> <laughs> uh well it wasn't the high dive mm-hmm. and um and then once you have them all in cities and they have the 15 minute city model it's like well now we can completely restrict like where you're only leave to leave leave your district you know so many times a week or a month it's all done by public transportation because of course you don't own a car anymore once you don't have any private property or any private transportation like we have complete a complete surveillance state that's very very easy to implement and everything is like going in that direction. Would you not agree? Yeah, I would. I would agree. Yeah. I think no. I think you're right about all that. Um, I just, I, maybe it's because I'm on this uh, positivity kick, <laughs> but I just kind of see that as another own goal, and it having more of a, an effect of people. Well, the people that are going to be riding in the streets are going to be fed up with because they know this is going on. Not everybody, but to a large degree, we, we can see that this is happening. Mm-hmm. They, they might think it's behind the scenes, and I know there's a lot of, you know, you, if you turn on the news, you're not going to see this, but people know what's happening to a greater degree than they would have back if this was happening back in the 80s when there was no internet or no, you know, way of, the only way you know about it is if you listen to Art Bell on Coast to Coast. But I, I could see it having just, just as easily causing a breakdown in society, which we need. We need the society that we're in right now to fully collapse so we can replace it with something better. We need the dollar to collapse. We need to totally reboot. This. We need to unplug this motherfucker and then plug it back in. And it could just as easily lead or to just that. leave it unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Uh, I definitely appreciate your perspective and like maybe over 20% of me agrees with you. The one thing, the one area that I think I disagree with you in is that you, correct me if I'm wrong, is it, while it is true that the COVID pandemic did wake some people the fuck up, which I really appreciate and I see as like a a very, like a vast silver lining, is it, it also not only did not wake up some people, but other people just dug their heels in even further yeah, and became even bigger state single fans. And I think some of what you're saying is hinging on the way that people like you and I think. Yeah. Cause it's like, if I, if we're going to this other thing, like if you guys laid out, like here's exactly what our plan is. I was like, well, you're going to have to kill me. Cause like, no, yeah. The answer is no. Like, well, you didn't, you and I didn't always think this way. Yeah. That's very true. Um, so, second point I wanted to bring up, <clears throat> and this is kind of interesting because I was thinking of the 15-minute city model. 
is I did a digging, did some digging on like some of the specifics of some of these food production facilities that BlackRock mm-hmm. and Vanguard were buying. Um, they bought a couple. So two examples are App Harvest in Kentucky, uh, which manages one of the largest greenhouses in the world, and another company called Hydrofoam Holdings out of Pennsylvania. Now, it's interesting to note that many of these companies like App Harvest and Hydrofoam Holdings, and I'm going to make some more conclusions here <laughs> that I made on my own, but they specialize in this, I'm sure somewhat familiar with this, the vertical indoor framing uh, farming model, right? It's just like your 15-minute city, like yeah. we're going up, right? And the, 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 the touted benefit of this model is for two things, is that you can produce way more agric- agricultural goods within a lower square foot footprint, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this particular one, I think it was App Harvest, it's like the square footage is already 2.6 million square feet, but then just going up from there. So they're producing food, on a level, uh, uh, volume-wise, on like an unprecedented level, right? Like food per square foot. Per square foot, yeah. right? And then... It's so gay. Who cares? <laughs> well, there's a reason. So a part of the appeal of this, not to be confused with appeal, Bill Gates's <laughs> food preservative line, is aside from the large agricultural production potential, they tout the benefits of climate change is that this is a more greener model because we're not using as much square footage. I know you're already rolling your eyes. I don't explain this to you. As if square footage, that's a a metric that makes sense in climate change. But here's how this works, though, is that it does not take a whole lot of research to find out, like, how ridiculous this is because, of course, you know, do you remember one of the core ideas from when we were taking the green building classes? It was the idea of the embodied footprint. Mm-hmm. So the the, the exact, embodied energy, the embodied energy, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the example we had is um, you have two t- types of ways to insulate your house. You got your um, blown-in fiberglass product, and then you have cellulose, which is ground-up newspaper, essentially recycled newspaper. And so on the surface, you say like, well, you should do the newspaper because you're recycling. It's, it's recycling. It's a recycled product, and you know, fiberglass. We just think icky, yeah, like, icky. Not, not good or whatever. But according to the embodied footprint or the embodied, what did you call it? Energy. The embodied energy, then you find out model, then you go, well, you do 45 minutes of digging or your instructor just tells you. you go, <laughs> or, or cellulose, that recycled newspaper gets shipped in from Vermont. All this fiberglass is from Redding, California, which is right outside Red Bluff, California, which is where the head box happened, by the way. <laughs> way to squeeze that one in. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Every episode from now on. <laughs> and so you go like, okay, when you look at the embodied energy of each product is the recycled newspaper is actually has more of a, however you want to quantify it, like yeah. a carbon footprint. Or Plus whatever. it's treated with fire retardant. Right. It's just the worst stuff in the world to work with. The fiberglass turns out is literally just glass. Right. Yeah, or the, 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 the stupidest example that, well, it's stupid to us, but it's also stupid that people don't make this connection. It's like, well, of course, electric vehicle doesn't use fossil fuels. You're like, where does our electricity come from? Like, you got to look at the entire system. Where'd that battery come from? Like, you know, where's the battery going when it goes, is obsolete in two fucking years? Like, the embodied energy of a project, you have to look. It's, it takes a little bit of research. I'm sorry. Like, it drives you nuts. That's what's wrong. We have experts to do that for us. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. And point being is that when BlackRock and Vanguard tell us that, like, 
we're selling this because of climate change, this vertical farming model, right? And But they don't take into account the electricity of this fucking mo- like humongous monolith, the robotics that it takes, the fucking energy bill that they have every year. It's like, so... No, it's just based on the food per square foot. It, food, food per square foot, Bunch yes. Idiots. And so... When you, you know, well, we're on the coastal elite here, but when you coastal elites that buy into the stuff, like, well, yeah, because of climate change and look at these advancements in food production, and you're the same people that look down your nose and smirk at that dumb hick farmer in the flyover state. It's like using this antiquated technology of putting dumb plants in the ground. And you go like, mm-hmm. it's like he needs to stop doing that because of climate change. Like he, he is, his practice is greener. He's operating a more green operation. You have to mm-hmm. look at the embodied energy of the entire product. But people don't buy it because they hear the word climate change. They're like, yep, I know that. And that farmer's probably a Trump supporter, so that's all I need to hear. Stranger's arms reach out to me. Cause